This is The Art Life. Hello, I'm Grace Gordon, actress and activist, and today I am here with Crimson Minx. Crimson is the founder of Minx and Muse, a fiercely feminine playhouse that helps people awaken their innate magic through dance, movement, and witchcraft. I know Crimson because at the very beginning of quarantine, someone sent me a link to one of her virtual classes at Minx and Muse and said, oh, I think you'd be really into this. And uh, and I ended up joining the studio, even though it's in Austin, Texas, and I'm there every week doing virtual classes. So Crimson and I have known each other, oh my gosh, more than a year now. And uh, over yeah. That's wild. I mean, you're like a big part of my life, even though we've never met in person. <laughs> it's insane. It's the new world we live in. <laughs> it really is. And and so it's just such a unique way to meet someone, but also build a real relationship over time. Um, you host all of these events and dance classes, movement, witchcraft workshops, and it's been such a great part of my past year. Um, but on this show, we talk, you know, about what you do. You are the founder of this, of Minx and Muse, but we're really interested in, in our interviews about hearing the process of your work, since we're familiar with the product. Um, everything from the food you love to your daily practices to this conversation itself, uh, it's all part of your art life. So to get situated with you in the present moment, I just want to start by asking Crimson, how is your art life? Oh, my art life is going fantastic, actually, constantly evolving, constantly expanding, and just always seeking more ways to be lit up during the process. Mm, I love that. I love that answer. And and I, I'm really excited that you answered that way because I think a lot of this conversation will be about that kind of evolution that you embody. On this show, we, we do interview like professional artists, you know, actors, dancers, whatever. But we've also interviewed business coaches and activists and healers. And we always say like artists are healers and healers are artists, right? So this is why we have so many different voices on the show. And um, I wanted to start by asking you, are witches artists? Is art and creativity like part of witchcraft? Absolutely. Witches could be considered the ultimate artist or at least the ultimate creatives. Um, to me, well, my definition of a witch is someone living fully in their power, using energy to manifest the world around them. So just the art of manifestation in and of itself is art. And this this philosophy of this show is like, you know, your whole life is your art, right? Right. And I think that's what witchcraft is too, right? It's, it's intentionally creating your life. Absolutely. One of the things that drew me to witchcraft was the idea of no longer wanting to be a victim in my life, but wanting to be the literal creatrix of my life. And through witchcraft, you gain those tools in order to do just that. So whether it's through spell casting or whether it's through learning to work with energy, um, a lot of it for me as a witch is self-reflection and shadow work. All of these things put together are like, you know, our artist toolkit to to paint the the life we dream of parts of spell crafting or or um manifestation for you are literal art forms right so so dance is a big part of your practice and i've heard little pieces of your story of your journey but i know that you you didn't 
grow up dancing? Not at all. No, I gr- I grew up as an athlete. What? See, I didn't even know yeah. that. So when did you, wait, <laughs> wait, so when did you discover dance? Like how when what what moment in your journey was a dance practice? Right. Well, I I almost said too late, but no, perfectly as everything. It arrived when it needed to. I didn't start dancing in the mode that I currently dance in, which is sensual dance and movement until I was around 33. Amazing. So, right. So, you know, when people think that this is something that has to start or be like a lifelong um, immersion, it's not the case is what I found. So, yeah, I mean, I did like ballet and all of that as a kid, but I grew up as an athlete playing sports. And then I eventually found myself um, in New York City, where I spent a lot of my formative young adult years, um, and eventually actually moved to Los Angeles, where you are. Mm-hmm. And um, when I moved to Los Angeles, I didn't know anyone. So I was, it was a great time for a lot of uh, self reflection and finding out what I like to do, discovering new hobbies and interests. I was just trying all different types of things because I just didn't have friends to hang out with otherwise. So um, it was interesting because I found dance and witchcraft around the same time. So for me, they were symbiotic and worked perfectly together for me to help kind of come into my power. And and work in tandem with each other. So they're kind of indistinguishable for me. Like dance is magic as far as I'm concerned or a form of magic. So yeah, it was when I moved and just needed to, to find a way to meet people and, and wanted to try new things that I had found a, um, a, a listening for a pole dance studio near where I worked and it kind of evolved from there. I love to hear this. I just got a poll for my apartment, as yes. you know, because you encouraged me to. I was like, can we do virtual poll classes? I'll get a poll. And then you said, yes, get one now. And I did yes. that week. So I'm excited to hear about you know how that practice shifted your life since I'm now stepping into it myself. I know. I'm so excited. Well, I love that you kind of were introduced without the pole because I should, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with pole dance and the way that we practice at the studio as well as me personally is it's using it as a form of sensual dance and movement as opposed to a form of fitness. So at Minx and Muse, we use the pole to dance. So we don't do aerial tricks. We don't do inversions. It's not a form of training, though. I think it can be a beautiful art form in that capacity as well. But um, the way that I was introduced to it, thank goodness, the studio I started at called Secret in um, in Culver City, um, it was a very sexy, sensual exposure to to style of dance that they that they embodied there. And that's what really kind of pulled me in. And so I feel that pole is not the ultimate form of sensual dance, but it can be a really awesome tool. You know that I also love floor work. So essentially you don't need anything unless, you know, 
you have a floor. We pretty much all have one of those. Standing on something right now, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) So it is a very inclusive form of dance. Um, But, you know, we also do striptease and we also do forms of like twerk and booty and, you know, standing kind of heels type of dance. And we'll dance on the wall and we'll dance on the floor and on a chair and and on a pole. So I always consider like the pole a, just like an object or a tool, but it's not the it's not the magic itself. It's how you integrate with it and how you interact with it. Yeah, I'm really glad that I was introduced to floor work first because of you, because it really does like hammer in that belief that you are the tool, you know, like you're mm-hmm. you have you are enough, you have enough just within your body. And uh and I think that, that that can be true for for a lot of occult practices, witchcraft, spellcasting too, is like you're, you can be led to believe incorrectly that you need to buy a bunch of stuff to do to cast a spell or to manifest. You need to buy a, this color candle and this oil. And I really don't believe that that's necessary. And I think you share that philosophy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, you know, our intention is so powerful and when I we teach what I refer to as esoeroticism. So uh, it's a form of sensual dance that um, is uh, like, it's basically esoteric combined with erotic. So erotic is a very sexy, sensual, raw style movement. It involves a lot of self-touch. It involves a lot of like undulations and kind of what would be considered maybe body style of dance. But um, we use it so as an internal practice to connect with our bodies and our goddess-given sensuality. And um, I do feel that like a sensual dance or an esoterotic dance ritual can be just as powerful, if not more so than like a really potent candle spell. Do you usually like, are you keeping an intention in mind when you just dance on your own? Yeah, sometimes or sometimes what's interesting. So um, I'll give you an example of one thing that we teach in our intro series uh, is that when you are dancing and in the sense of we 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 like the form of sensual esoterotic movement because the way we teach it is that it's not like a strict choreography or anything like that you're not overthinking things so it's not like a line dance or it's not like a very rigid partner dance or it's not even like a very um rigid form of like video vixen choreography or like the TikTok dances or anything like that that you see where it's very synchronized. We teach dance in a way that's very open to interpretation by the dancer themselves. And so when you're entering this kind of esoterotic dance ritual, what you're actually doing is engaging in a form of magic by shifting your brainwave state um, by getting out of head and into body, you're shifting that brainwave state and magic. We call that entering a state of gnosis. Um, in science, it's called neuroplasticity. It can be interpreted, you know, with different different words in different practices and cultures, but it's legit. And so in magic, we enter a state of gnosis in our magical rituals in order to implant the subconscious mind with an intention or a belief system. 
The reason being is that in that state of gnosis is when we are able to shift our belief systems. So I'm sure you've heard um, as is above, so is below, as is within, so is without. So the as is within, so is without is reflected in that idea is the subconscious mind runs the show. And what your subconscious mind believes is what we'll see reflected in the outer world. And so through magic, we like to implant the subconscious mind with our magical intention so that um, in the external world, our intention is then brought to us. And so there's a lot of different ways to get into a state of gnosis, but it usually is a pretty important part of a magical ceremony. Um, But we're doing it. We're entering that state of gnosis, whether intentionally or unintentionally, through esoterotic dance. And so one of the things that, you know, you ask the question, do you set an intention? You absolutely can. But here's the thing, through this style of movement, we you've done it. So, you know, there's a lot of self-touch. There's a lot of like sexual and sensual expression. And so when we're moving in that way, in the state of gnosis, we're rewiring our brain to reclaim our sexual sovereignty. So this body is mine, this sexuality is mine, this sensuality is mine, and uh, reclamation of one's sexual sovereignty is one of the most powerful things that we can access. And so for all genders, because our sexual energy is our life force energy. It's our vitality. It's also our magnetism. And it's also our manifestation energy. So when you don't own that side of yourself or you're not fully connected with that side of yourself, you're also not fully connected with that, with those other energies I just mentioned. So um, that was kind of a long-winded way to kind of explain how in through the lens of magic, sensual dance and movement is literally a ritual, a transformative ritual um, where you can use intention to, to help shift the subconscious mind. And the most powerful off-the-bat way is to reclaim that, that sexual sovereignty. So I'm so glad that you brought up this idea of ritual and even like daily practices because I talk a lot about that on the show. That's like a huge part of my art life. I'm a big believer in meditation. I write morning pages every day. And now I have, you know, dance practice with you as well. And I'm wondering like, if do you have daily practices, movement, witchcraft or otherwise that you do just to maintain your groundedness or your creativity? Oh, absolutely. I have um, many. (laughs) So I have a morning gratitude practice. I also have an energetic practice that I do in the morning um, that involves like self-breaky. I do a protection spell. I do the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram every morning, which is like a ceremonial magical practice. I have multiple altars at my home with different intentions that I light candles at every morning to focus my intention. Um, In the evening, I have some kind of protection spells that I do before going to bed. Um, I do try to consciously dream. So there's just infusing magic and everything. But I will say, when I don't do a form of movement at some point in my day, whatever that looks like, usually it is dance, but it could be stretch or it could be like, you know, a a jog or a walk or something like that. My energy is so fucked. 
So I can tell you that it is, you can do all of the other things and you can try to be in your mind and try to like control everything logically. However, if you are not entering into some form of embodiment practice, you can only get so far. And so through even just like going on a walk, you are moving energy throughout your body. It's like, um, you know, I'm sure you've talked about somatic therapy and integration on this show before, so I don't have to repeat that. But, you know, any kind of somatic practice is just going to enhance everything else. <laughs> and this is something like I, I talk about all the time, I'll even just, you know, like with my friends and therapists or whoever, like the somatic element being so important to my healing. But I'm really glad that you brought it up the way that you did, because I'm someone who has been so mental most of my life in terms of my daily practices, like I brought up to you writing or all of those things. And I think part of that is that I associated walking, dance, any kind of somatic therapy even with like exercise, with mm -hmm. fitness culture. And I had a lot of it, like issues with eating disorder and like body image. And so I didn't want to do anything that mm. was about connecting to my body because in my head that was tied in with like shame and punishment. And now doing a dance practice, stretch, walking every day is like essential to making me feel good and empowered, like you said. But I'm like, I think some people listening maybe could could hear this and think, oh, it's like a fitness thing. So right. how, how is uh, movement practice different than like fitness culture for you? Yeah, with everything, it's your intention, right? So like, what are you coming into? If you are coming into it to fight your body, that's going to be more of a form of fitness. Like I, it's not where I want it to be. And I understand the idea of like strength and growth. And ultimately that will happen in esoerotic dance, but it's not the main intention. So for me, practicing dance or movement as a form of embodiment versus a form of like punishment um, could be one easy way to maybe differentiate between the two. Um, I feel like it's, I was having this conversation the other day about how I actually feel like dance is the feminine form of meditation. So mm -hmm. we, you know, you introduced in the beginning, fiercely feminine, feminine energy, which is present in any gendered body, um, is what we focus on. And so when we think meditation, so many of us have been, um, taught the masculine form, which is the masculine is the logic, right? It's the rational. So it's, I'm going to sit on top of a mountain and get all of the thoughts out of my mind and I'll sit there for 10 hours <laughs> until, you know, like it's this like, I will force myself to have no thoughts sitting still. Whereas, you know, the feminine, it is fluidity. It's experiencing. It's also pleasure. And so for me, when you're dancing, I get myself in that same um meditative state when I am doing a certain style of dance or movement and that like I've all of a sudden it's been 10 minutes and I've been dancing and I don't even know where the time went because I was totally in a different place. So you can also consider dance as a form of meditation. Well, being a Minx and Muse member is really the thing that helped me shift 
out of that kind of punishment uh, mindset about movement. So thank you because you have been a big part of that. Uh, I think it's super important because I think so many of us can conceptualize the idea of being either sexually empowered or being like present in one's body or the concept of embodiment, but it's not a concept. It's not an idea. It's something that you have to experience. It's something that you literally have to move through. And especially for artists, right? Like we can get in our head, I want it to look like this, or I have this idea, or I have this concept, but it can get stuck there if we're not balancing out with some other kind of like literal embodiment practice or ritual. You know, the the feminine births, the feminine is birthing energy. If you want to birth something, an artistic project or concept to life, like you need to integrate that feminine um in addition to like the the concepting the logical rationale of the masculine and what a gift it's been to like learn all of this with you during quarantine for me like like that we met during this time of stag- like being still right being a lot of people feeling super disconnected being in their heads being disconnected from community and and probably a lot of people feeling really disembodied because just yeah. on like a practical level, they're in their apartments or homes and not talking to people, not, you know, connecting the way they might like to. That is the world situation we were in when we met. It was brutal. It's It's been brutal. But, but I also, I mean, when I think about you, one of the reasons I wanted to have you for an interview on this show was that I'm so inspired by the like flexibility you've had as a business owner during the past two years, right? You, you, figured out pretty quickly like how to create this virtual class schedule and you're still doing a lot of virtual classes even now and now you even have this library of pre-recorded classes people can take and it's just it's been so great to watch your business evolve in this time because I think so often we you know start with a set plan and then something happens that we're totally not in control of and it can just feel like okay I give up and I think a lot of business owners unfortunately had that experience in the past year or two. And so I wanted to ask you, like, what what did this past year, two years, being the founder of Minx and Muse, what did it teach you about flexibility and creativity within like running your business? First of all, thank you so much for the kind words. I'm just so grateful for you. You deserve it. Um, <laughs> thank you. So I mean it's it's interesting, right? It's it's case in point, practice what you preach. So I I literally preach fluidity. And I preach being embodied. I preach the feminine and being in flow. And for those who I know that this is audio, like I'm not skipping around in like a white flowy dress in like a field of uh, of, of swaying grains or anything like that. <laughs> like <laughs> we definitely actually uh, embody the dark feminine at the studio. We're witches. We're seductresses. We're very much into the shadow and the taboo and all of that, but that's still the feminine. And so this is what I preach. This is what I have to practice. So um, that's part of magic too. So when you cast for an intention, right? So success in my business, 
one thing we learn in magic is that it's always going to appear in a way that seems very um, circumstantial or very um, coincidental. It's a better word. And so you have to have confidence that your your work that your spell casting is being delivered to you in the best way for your highest good in the best way the universe is able to. And so that is combined with the idea of feminine flow, right? So like I have every intention and have done a lot of work around finding success uh, in my business. So when the pandemic hit, you know, you have to have that mindset. Well, this is, I cast for success. And so what is this going to look like? You have to see everything as an opportunity. And so just being able to let go of that, like masculine rigidity. It's like, I had this vision. It was supposed to look like this. You know, if you're doing like a painting, right? It's like those Bob Ross happy accidents type of things. Like, (laughs) what are you going to do? Are you going to get fucking pissed off and try to like start again or try to force that tree to look the way that it was supposed to? Or are you going to go into more of a flow state, which I know is, um, a lot of artists are familiar that flow state. You have to approach life with that, with that concept of going into a flow state. So yeah, when the pandemic hit, it was like, I'm very, I I love what I do. This is my, my art, my, my studio is my art. And so what can I do just to, with the current limitations to keep expressing and to keep moving in the way that fills me up. And that just looked like, creating a virtual experience and ultimately that end up being like a, a blessing in disguise for the studio because we've really been able to expand and actually really love doing a lot of things virtually so so yeah be, it, the same way you want to be in a flow state when you're creating your your artwork you want to be in that flow state when you're creating your your art life Well, and if you didn't have virtual classes because of the pandemic, we wouldn't know each other. You're in Austin, Texas. I'm in LA. And we wouldn't even be having this conversation if without those constrictions causing you to like create this like expansive virtual schedule the past year or however long it's been. (laughs) I know it's been like almost, it'll be almost two years in March, but that's part of being a witch. You know, people kind of like the aesthetic of a witch, like you know, oh, I like black nail polish or I want this cool velvet dress or I don't know, you know, I like crystals or whatever. But it is with being a witch comes great personal responsibility because it's ultimate self-sovereignty, right? Like I'm not a victim. I create my world. I am the sole magician of my world. And so that kind of comes, life's not always like daisies. Not everything's going to be going your way. It's how you react to things and how you wield that sovereignty that's going to really like have you find that ultimate success and like contentment with your work. So one of the ways that you wield your personal sovereignty is actually building community. You you know, you are this leader of this, of Mixed and Muse and you create this coven meetings and and classes and all of these things that I've benefited so much from. I think I think building a community, an intentional community and having the tools to maintain it is such an essential part of an artist's success um of an and just fulfillment. So, I was wondering for our listeners like if you have any advice about building community around your art. Absolutely. Well, first and and I I have a, I have to give a shout out to my business coach, Leslie Lyons. So she 
has been present throughout my business for the past three years. And this is something that she preaches a lot and that, you know, to honor her, I want to give her a shout out and also like spread her gospel, which is having values. So what are, what are the values uh, in, in your creation, right? What do you stand for or what is, you know, you may hear it also, what is your why? Like if you're doing something or you're creating something for fame or fortune, good luck creating an engaged community around that because that's going to be fickle and, and ultimately, you know, failing because what's, what's to, to make someone feel united with you. So for me, like understanding why the studio exists, what we value and being able to then clearly communicate that like in our messaging, but also in our offerings, like having that cohesive vision based on values is going to attract the right people. I can honestly say I absolutely fucking adore our community. Um, I am always inspired and just lit up by them. And the reason being is because it was very intentionally created. It's not, I'll take what I can get. Let me just price things the cheapest and hopefully get a lot of people. And that's my community, you know, or my community isn't like me make money or my community isn't like make me popular, like thinking about how a lot of people could approach it. But if you have a vision, if you have an understanding of your why, if you understand your values, and then you ultimately express that and create an entire um, body of work around that, you're not going to appeal to everyone, but you're really going to appeal to the right people. And that community is going to be very united in what they stand for and their interests. And so the community will kind of just make sense that it works out because everyone is kind of like has a common purpose and, and similar belief systems or interests. So you sort of lead with your values. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that attracts the right people. I love this element of like, it's not about just as many people as you can possibly get. It's about the right community. Right. You're right. You know, some of the strongest communities are, can be very tiny and very niche. Like, you know, in business, you learn there's riches in the niches because um, you can't be everything to everyone. It's just because you mean nothing to them because you they have nothing to hang their hat on. It's like, you know, also, I love the quote, if you're not offending someone, you're boring everyone. And it's not like meaning I'm going out to intentionally offend someone. I'm a contrarian, like I'm out to, you know, that's an obnoxious intention to have. So you shouldn't be the intention to offend. But if you're not by, um, by default, like kind of triggering someone who's like, you know, isn't that kind of boring? You know, someone should think that your work maybe is too provocative or maybe it's too soft or maybe it's too, um, it's, it's, it should, it's just too something, you know, it's too much of something. So, but that's what really like, ultimately that's, what's going to catch people's attention and light them up. And they're going to say, oh my gosh, I always felt that way. This, this is my people. So well, and that's what being an artist is, is making something new, right? We're, we're trying to make new things or, or just like shift cultural ideas. And so, yeah, that's going to shake some things up for people. 
Right. And that's why also like appropriation never really yields to great results, right? Like, have mm. you ever seen an artist try to copy someone because they really admire someone? Like, oh, I love that work. And so they try to emulate it, but they don't have the why behind it. They don't have like the true convictions or the values behind it. So it's going to fall flat. That's why I never even really worry about copycat artists because they don't really understand you know, my, my values and my why, or even if they did, it wouldn't, it wouldn't connect with them in a way that really lit them up. That would keep them like pulling all nighters or wanting to push through or having to, you know, work really hard and diligently to make something a success. You know, that's, that's kind of what keeps you going. I feel so lit up right now. I'm like, I'm like, I'm listening to you and going like, yeah, what am I excited about? What am I going to do after this? Like, what am I willing to like stay up before? I love it so much. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was going to say like, oh, at the end of the day, like a bunch of Instagram likes isn't going to be the thing that's going to keep you going through like all of the challenges and, and setbacks, you know, that's silly. Well, and I'm, I, I, it's like you started talking about, um, <laughs> you started talking about like, what are you willing to stay up for and really work for? And the next thing I had wanted to ask you, especially because you're a business owner, was like, do you have days off? What does a day off look like for you? How do you restore your energy? Or do you need to have a like clear separation between Minx and Muse and your personal life? Yeah, you know, I'm probably not the best person at embodying this, but it's definitely something that I'm always working towards. The reality is when you're lit up with your purpose and especially my, you know, Minx and Muse is only four years old, you know, so it's still a baby. So mm -hmm. no, I don't take many days off. Um, and even on my days off, I am still like communicating and taking on kind of mini tasks, but that's not going to be the forever. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you do have to get yourself to a point of stability where you can then start delegating a bit more. But I am at least very intentional, at least uh, very intentional, at least taking like half days or setting aside time where it's like you're just not on any form of communication. So I love being in nature. I love being outside. Um, I do commit to working with energy healers and energy workers. That is something that um, is very important and in, in um, keeping me sane and working at my utmost potential. Um, I enjoy, you know, going out and having a good meal and some drinks with friends at some, you know, I, I like being surrounded. Like if I'm choosing a place though, it's not going to be like, mcdonald's fast food right it's going to be i'm going to find like a place that is either like outside and surrounded by nature where it's like this beautiful aesthetic with like gorgeous artwork hanging and great music or going out to see some kind of music or going out to see some form of like burlesque something i like to still be surrounded by things that really like light me up and speak to me um i don't watch tv i don't kind of partake in a lot of escapism as much as humanly possible. Um, and I know that for some people, that's where people find their inspiration in television and film and stuff like that. And so I'm a bigger fan of film, I think, because it is so creative and thought provoking and also like comes to an end where now television is the, like they <laughs> have figured out that you're going to binge watch for 10 hours and they're going to leave a cliffhanger at the end. Yeah. And so there's no like way of ending at least the film. You get that like two hour satisfaction. Yes. 
So that's just a personal crimson thing. That's not a minx and muse thing. So you don't have to like attribute that to the <laughs> to the studio. But I do think that that escapism can be glorified too much as a form of self care. And mm. I'm not anti like watching some television every now and then or doing some scrolling, but it can't be like your first line of fall back when you are feeling stressed or you're feeling like you need a break. You know, I think a healthier thing would be to go take a dance or movement class or to go out in nature um, or to do something inspiring, go to a museum, something like that. That kind of shit fills my cup. I love that you said that you were like, I'm not a great person to ask about this because I don't, you know, I don't take enough time off. But the reality is you're also showing that what you make, what you do is so perfectly aligned that yes, rest is important and filling the well is very important, but also like you are doing the things that really inspire you. That is what your business is. That is what your art is. So the ways that you restore your energy are, are similar to the things that you create, you know, seeing burlesque, building community, like, like, you know, it, it, it's just a testament to you be doing the right thing with your life. Right. And that's going to look different for some people, you know, um, it, it could be that, you know, painting, or it could be some kind of like collection or hobby in, in terms of, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what would people stamps. I don't know what that would be, but like, <laughs> I'm not that. So, but having something, you know, cause people do like have something that they love, like organizing, like vintage photos. They love collecting and organizing in a search and all that. Something that lights you up with, it does not have to be your job, but you should have something. I feel like if you don't have something in your life that, that you're passionate about that lights you up, like you're really like kind of depleting your life force. You know, we, we all need to find what that is. And of course we can sometimes fall into an abusive relationship with it, where we're like doing it too much or we, you know, kind of depend on it, but it's finding that balance. And it's also exactly what you said. When you do do something that you love, it depletes you a whole lot less than like if I had to go and do accounting every day. Like I could see how that could really deplete me, but I'm sure that there is someone who just like fucking loves accounting and that fills them up, you know? One of my favorite questions to ask people is what artists have been positive role models for you? So like dancers, fiercely feminine badasses or even business owners when you were building Minx and Muse when you've been like creating the life you want who have you looked to as a role model one person who comes to mind um is I, I'm very much drawn to I would say like eccentric outspoken um feminine archetypes feminine types so there was a woman um Marchesa Cassati she was like an Italian heiress and muse. She was a patroness of the arts um, in early 20th century Europe. And I have read a couple books on her. And you, you've probably seen many photographs of her. Um, and she is just someone that lights me up because she led a very creative, unapologetic life. She was always pushing the boundaries in terms of like, creative expression whether that be through her clothing or her home like she had 
she had like a panther or something or a cheetah or something that as a pet and she used to throw these like wild parties where people would have to dress up and she would just paint herself all gold and she was an artist muse yeah and so she you know there were many like painters who who would paint her because they just found her so intoxicating and you know she she was like a an artist in her own right in her expression and um I just find that her energy is something that I always kind of look towards because she really did push the boundaries in terms of like how she could creatively express. And she definitely turned people off and she was just a lover of life and an enjoyer of life. I love this answer. I'm so glad you, I, I have now a new person to look up to. It's such an art life answer as well, where it's, it's not just like this musician who just makes music, you know, it's this person who embodied this full dynamic, challenging and integrated art life. Challenging is a good word for it. Yeah. She definitely, you know, as everyone has her, her, her troubled spots, but I mean, she really did not she she was not a victim of life. She definitely created a life that she filled with pleasure and enjoyment. Um, and at the end of the day, I think we have to remind ourselves that we can get so entranced by our art that it becomes more of a chore of a, or a task. And like, how can we how can we bewitch our life? How can we enchant our life so that we enjoy our work and we enjoy the moments in between? To me, that's like again goes back to the witch, you know, living with intention and being able to like create the ultimate dream life, which is probably very different looking than how society tries to sell it to us, right? Well, Mingston Muse is part of my ultimate dream life. Doing <laughs> it is, it really is, and I will. I'm gonna be sure to, you know, link to the 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 website and the Instagram, and your you also have like on demand classes now as well. Is there anywhere else that I you'd like me to share for our listeners? Where can people support your art? Yeah, we um, minxandmuse.com. My personal Instagram is crimson.minx. The studio is minx.muse. In 2022, we have a really fun new project coming that's going to be serving virtually that I can't speak too much about. It's going to be a completely immersive experience um, that's going to be able, people can access from anywhere. It will be based on a virtual model. So I'm really excited to to launch that in 2022. So so yeah, and it, feel free, people can totally reach out to me. I'm, I'm pretty accessible. So um, would love to chat more. And I'm just um, so grateful for you for for asking me to talk to your beautiful artist audience. I'm so glad that you came on the show. Like you've been such a great part of my life and my art and my healing journey myself. So it's just, you know, I wanted to make sure that your voice got heard on the show and that other people could discover you too. Yeah. And for those, I mean, I'm sure a lot of your listeners just know you um, in a certain capacity as, you know, how you express, you know, through the podcast and through social and everything. But I have had the pleasure of having you as a student. And I just love the energy you bring to all of our classes. You're very committed. You're very immersed in the experience. um, And you bring uh, a very um, 
a beautiful energy that definitely affects everyone else in the class, even though it's virtual, whenever you're on, like you have um, your energy reaches through, through the internet to everyone. So I'm so grateful to have you in classes. Thank you. Crimson, at the end of every episode, we always ask our guests, what is the art life? So for you today, what is the art life? The art life is authenticity. So authentic expression. And I think like, yeah, to find that you do have to do a lot of self reflection, you have to do a lot of experimentation, and you have to move beyond that idea of emulation and wanting to be like someone else, because that's boring, right? What lights you up? What is your authentic expression? And it's going to look when you find it, it's going to have a huge impact in the world because you're the only one that's going to really be able to embody that authentically. I am so excited to share your work and I hope that people check it out. I really do. I hope people check out Minx and Muse because I think that, you know, what you provide is basically tools for people to find out what their authentic expression is, to empower them to do that shadow work or do that movement practice that connects them to their truth. And so you are creating like the platform where people can find that authenticity. Absolutely. It's one of our values. Well, Crimson, it's been so great having you on. I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much for being here. And I can't wait to hear what our listeners think. Yes. Thank you so much, Grace. Thank you everyone for listening. I'm in such gratitude for this experience. Bye. Bye. This is The Art Life. You can find the show online at theartlife.show and send letters to The Art Life, Care of Grace Gordon, P.O. Box number 4292, Valley Village, California, 91617. Send email to theartlifeshow at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram at theartlifeshow. Our theme music is The Stream by Rory. Thank you for joining me.